See, when you say it that way and throw in a little pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. My name is Matthew Kroll. And this is your Rubicon. Don't cross your Rubicon. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film... The holdovers. Are you a holdover this uh, this Thanksgiving? No, I. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have been a holdover a few times in New York away from my family. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love my family. If you're listening, family, <laughs> I love you. And uh, they're no, not listening. We, I, they're absolutely not. <laughs> which, which is <laughs> which is why I'm saying it so overtly. Yeah. Um. No. The. Uh, there was one year, I think it might've been due to COVID that obviously we didn't go anywhere or maybe two years at that point. I don't remember God time, but, uh, we did when we had our little pod, me, Jamie, Elise, uh, and Tanya. Yeah. Um, we just did a Thanksgiving at their old apartment. Friendsgiving. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so nice. Yeah. It's great. Right. Like Uh, Friendsgiving. It's just, it's like, cause you didn't have to go anywhere. We all did a little part. Like it came to get, like, it was, it was very nice. Have you ever had to be held Held over. Well, I'm a I'm a permanent held over because none of my family lives in uh, the United States, and right. neither does my wife's family. So, in fact, uh, every year we kind of I guess we sort of look at what the traditions are, try to figure out our own paths in it. But we are literally doing this in real time. We don't have like a backlog of traditions. So one year my mom actually was here. Yeah, and we she made we made like a Thanksgiving. We tried to do like a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, and we were like looking at the recipes like with like incredulence it was like marshmallows on <laughs> on beans what are we what are we or is it marshmallows on 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 sweet potato we're yeah, like what, yeah it's what marshmallows on sweet potato because yeah. you know it's not sweet enough <laughs> yeah yeah we we're like what is this why are we doing this and it was like okay we'll try it um Th- so thanksgiving food is weird yeah yeah there was a lot of that and then my wife is vegetarian uh but i'm not so we try to like throw it in like one one piece of protein that I will have, but it'll be like, I'll cook myself a nice piece of salmon or something like that on the side, which is not at all a Thanksgiving tradition. So we're making our own weird little, little thing here. Christmas also holdovers. We don't really have anything, uh, you know, like planned. And like, I remember one year, um, uh, this is before we had my son, a friend of ours came and stayed with us for Christmas for like four, five days. And she lives in New York and, uh, we rented a projector and we threw it up on the wall, and for five days straight, we just watched movies. Yeah, like I remember, we watched the entire Bourne franchise. <laughs> and we, what a what a holiday tradition! Yeah, we were just watching movies, but like, and it was like we would stay up till three a.m. watching movies, go to sleep, get up, figure out some food for us, and then start watching movies again. It was like it was the happiest time. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah, maybe this th- this Thanksgiving. I don't. Oh no, we are going away. Uh, just like, you know, a little, yeah. little, little trip away, but me and my son are playing Spider-Man too. So uh, on that trip, uh, or right now, maybe right now, but maybe we'll, we'll make a thing of it. Uh, how far, how many hours not, would you say? Not much. We're I'm not little, either. Yeah. But side note, the, the narrative storytelling work that that game does, I think is very, very, very good. I haven't gotten that far into it to like, be like, what is this, What's going on with the story? Oh, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I will say though, this is my one, my one criticism of the new PlayStation five game, Spider-Man yeah. two is the side missions that seem to make sort of somewhat sense of like Peter helping in, in what you played one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when Peter's helping uh, uh, Otto Octavius do like things around yeah. the city, he's like, oh, I got to get these readings of the telemetry data so I can get the stuff for yeah, the arms yeah, to work yeah. better. Right. All those kind of made narrative sense. In this one, it's so batshit and stupid like right. what those are. They're still oh. fun minigames. Right. But they make so little narrative sense. You're yeah. like, 
huh. I don't want to ruin it. It's the, just weird. The main thing that we wanted to do, and again, this is a podcast about the holdovers. I, I, I promise assure, you. I promise you. I assure you. Yeah, we only have podcast. nine things to talk about before the holdovers. <laughs> this is a podcast about the movies. Um, about the movies? Should we change our name? The, the podcast, only podcast about, about the, the movies? movies? Yeah, no. why not? Yeah. You know what's cool? The, the movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, is in this new version of Spider-Man, you can swim, uh, swing over into Queens. Yes. And yeah. so that's the first thing we did. That was that was the main reason we got through the first couple of missions yep. was to swing over into Queens. And it looks nothing like it Queens. It looks nothing, nothing like Queens. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because uh, I can see I can see what they did. Yeah. Like, oh, the park is there. Yeah, oh. we went to, we, we, the first thing we did was swing over to where our house would be. Yeah. And it was like, this is not our house. Yeah. Uh, the only, the main thing, if you do live in Queens, uh, the Long Island City Public Library is very accurate. Like, it looks like it that. It looks and, like it. And, and uh, you can actually jump into the part of the building that's very unique. It's got this strange rooftop with like, almost like a, a little stage in there yeah. and you can actually go through it. And I was like, that is actually That's 100%, cool. 100% accurate. There's a lot of really good landmarks yeah. in it. Um, we're doing an episode on X credits about open world design and how oftentimes cities are really, really difficult. Yeah. But what the Spider-Man games and the Arkham games do with mm -hmm. a giant open world city is because it's so big, they don't worry so much about the footprint on the ground of letting you know where the landmarks are. They expect you to be on rooftops. Yeah. So if you're on the rooftops, you'll clock buildings like that yeah. and try to get your bearings. It's just an interesting thing you're like oh yeah you have to plan for that yeah yeah anyway anyway uh, uh the holdovers well, well not yet we have well, so many other things to talk about what are we holding holdovers. over before we're, the holdovers we're holding over uh we just thought it would be uh we would it would be important to mention that the uh it seems like sag after has reached a deal with the studios as of now uh as of recording this um, I think we're going to find out we as in everyone will find out the full details Friday. Yeah, it's, it's coming soon. Uh, there's a couple of reports in The New York Times about this at this point. This uh, is Thursday. We're recording this Friday is the announcement and you'll hear this Saturday or Sunday, depending. But there was a lot of cheers last night as uh, as it looked like the strike was coming to an end um, in a way, kind of feeling like maybe from exhaustion. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like uh, making real strides. But, uh, you know, again, I'm not entirely sure of the details. Um, uh, it has been a long period, yeah. you know, like of people being out of work, a lot of funds that are out there to to help actors and writers in that in that time as well. Uh, so hopefully things will go back to normal. Uh, I know a lot of movies have been postponed because of uh, because of SAG-AFTRA and uh, and the Writers Guild strikes. Um, so we'll see how those resume, see what changes have been made, kind of keep you to the ground. If you're an actor, writer, you know, like again, uh, in solidarity here, um, from, yeah. the, from us, um, for whatever that's worth. And, uh, we hope, uh, you know, I think the, the other thing is that, uh, actors haven't been able to promote their movies as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we'll see a little bit of change going on there. Like, I, I guess, you know, you were talking about doing the Marvels, uh, uh, next, next week. week. Um, that's a movie that's uh, a Marvel movie that has come out with very little fanfare. Yeah. Probably because of the actor strike as yeah. well, because where they haven't been able to promote it as much and wheel out their actors, wheel out Brie Larson. Um, just so, on, on a gurney. Yeah. Yeah. She's Hannibal Lecter style. <laughs> <laughs> I love the suit. Yeah. God. No, I, uh, I'm very hopeful that, the, that they at least got a, a fair shake. It seems it, I was mentioning before the show. And again, this is all tertiary just from reading articles and things like that. But the from the writer's strike ending, it felt like the writers got like everything they wanted. And it was very, very like, yeah. yeah. And this one feels like both sides are unhappy, which is also the, the, the sign of a successful negotiation yeah. in a weird way. Yeah. Um, so That's I'm, what we want. Want. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just curious. 
I'm just curious how uh, how it goes. So hopefully y'all out there, uh, SAG after members are getting a fair shake. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched that you uh, get to go go back to work, hopefully with a much fairer deal. Uh, we also have an email. So holding over from the holdovers again, mm-hmm. uh, Paul writes us in with a greatly t- a terrific title email. Killers of the Infinity Stones. What? Uh, Man, Sherry, I loved your episodes on Killers of the Flower Moon, a really dense film. So I appreciated such a thorough and nuanced breakdown. You had a great story about a friend who like stopped you in the I middle did. of the street. Yo, shout out to Glenn. Uh, saw him last night. Uh, I ran into him and uh, he also was was singing the praises of the episode. That's so I'll fantastic. pass that along to you, Shears. Well. Um, it's great. Anytime Reed makes an appearance, such an insightful and delightful guy. I wanted to build on what Matt said about Molly and Ernest's so-called love. But first, I needed to pull a little sidebar to address Mr. Kroll specifically. Now, I want to pause here just quickly to say there, there's kind of historical uh killers of the flower moon spoilers here not you know somewhat not really of the history of of, what happened versus the film itself exactly so we're we're just just letting you know ahead of time jump a minute or two if you haven't seen killers of the flower moon yet but paul continues matthew are you okay feeling all right it's just that i've noticed that out of the past few weeks months and years the amount of marvel references and tie-ins seem to be at an all-time low (laughs) i get it it it's hard to be an MCU fan these days when it's drenched in muddy sameness. But I got you this time. I got you. And he's going to go back to Killers of the Flower Moon here. When Infinity War came out, oh, there was God. a discourse regarding the a plot point that confirms Thanos actually loves his daughter Gamora, though he betrays her in the same moment. I should have said spoilers for Infinity War as well. <laughs> Similar to the controversy around Ernst and Molly Burkhart, some critics felt it was problematic to show that the abuse of Thanos had a real love for Gamora, especially with Marvel's sizable young audience. I think there's some validity to this point, but real human relationships can be very complicated and messy. I'm personally okay with both these portrayals, as I think they point to a mature and profound truth that the way we treat people is more important than any professed feelings of affections, genuine or not. To put it otherwise, and to invoke the fifth tract on Nine Inch Nails' 2005 masterpiece, With Teeth, Love Is Not Enough. Thoughts? Looking forward to your discussion on the Marvels. Paul, that might have been my favorite goddamn email we've ever gotten. P.S. Oh. Do I get bonus points for talking about Scorsese and Marvel in the same breath? Without mentioning that New York Times op Well, not now. <laughs> uh, almost. You almost <laughs> you had You almost had it. Yeah. Uh, that's a really, really interesting point. Uh, mm-hmm. First, to address your concerns, Shahir and I mm-hmm. were talking about it, and yeah. I, I am talking about Marvel less because it's getting shitty. Yeah. Uh, I have not watched Loki, which which if you had told me three or four years ago when Loki season one came out and Loki season two is dropping and I wasn't watching it, I'd yeah. be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Um, I, I'm having a really hard time caring. We are going to be reviewing the Marvels, but yeah. I want to, I want to turn that into, <laughs> not a, I was going to, my a first word was, my first word was funeral. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll see how it goes depending on where we're, where we go with that. I think you just going on both the conversation of, of the characters and killers of the flower moon and of course, infinity war. Yeah. yeah. My point was love is not a ubiquitous thing and it's not always good good yeah <laughs> or 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 like it can lead to very bad i would argue that throughout the case course of human history things that many people would profess as love have been things that have caused a- enormous atrocity yeah so um yeah no that's a really interesting point paul thank you for I, I think just to, to piggyback on this idea i think and this is weird because i'm going to be defending thanos at some point here um, are you hashtag thanos was right yeah hashtag Thanos is right but i think what i want to get at is that Thanos was ideologically driven and Gamora was collateral damage to him. Um, 
Right. Like he, he was. No, he, he, actually. I, well, so so mm. he was strongly ideologically driven. He wasn't like like he was like, this is what I believe. And this is what I believe needs to happen in order to save the world. Yes, yeah, he yeah. was. He he held his Not, ideals he, over yeah. his personal emotions. Right. And I, I so I just want to put a pen in it there yep. and just say that's that's where I think Thanos is at. And the, and the conversation about Molly and Ernest Burkhardt is with uh, the you can have the same conversation about his professed love versus um uh, what he wants to do. Unfortunately, I think in the case of Ernest and Molly Burkhardt is he tried to murder his wife and he tried, and, and as mentioned in the book, not quite mentioned in the film, but kind of adjacently mentioned in the film, he would have probably murdered his children. And so, and, and not for an ideological reason, because the great New York times, no, uh, literally for yeah. money, but again, and, and also uh, there's a great New York times article this week uh, that outlines the fact that uh, this is a very different uh, Martin Scorsese anti-hero because he's really dumb um which is not something that i wouldn't even call him an anti-hero uh central character you know uh because he's really really dumb um and and i think that makes that sort of profession of love conversation slightly more complicated oh it's more it's it's a it's a different it's a different example of how uh love air quotes is never it's, the it's not enough, like, it's it's not enough. enough. It, it, but like it it literally it's not the same thing to everyone yeah um yeah and I, love can be complex and as as red pointed out uh, i think after the show was that uh you know people uh, in the osage nation were like well yes he was a monster but he's also my great great grandfather you know like kind of thing and and we need to acknowledge that that is part of our history yeah you know yep Anyway, very, very good email, Paul. Thank you very much. Uh, now are we holding over to the holdovers? I think we're unholding over to the holdovers. All right. Um, Tell us what the holdovers is about. Well, <laughs> IMDB says that the holdovers is a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. Aww. Well, they got it two thirds, right? Yeah, they do uh, omit jo- Divine Joys, much to the film's detriment, because that is a key figure in this. And I thought, and I had a lot to talk about in terms of how her character is uh, dealt with in this film. Um, I had the biggest, goofiest grin on my face the entirety of the runtime of this movie. Oh, yeah. The entirety. And I was like, and I realized because we just did uh, No Hard Feelings, the Jennifer Lawrence vehicle uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and, and I... I thought to myself, perhaps obnoxiously, that this is the brand of comedy that I gravitate towards more, far more. You know, like I, I can discuss no hard feelings, but I, but you know, my laugh per minute ratio is pretty low in that film. Not not you know, just I, I find that kind of comedy like hit or miss. You know, like very little of it kind of gets me actually laughing. Whereas this, and I have to say it, it's like it's the cadence of the writing and the language that really tickles my funny bone yeah it's you know paul giamatti's delivery of i can't fail this class oh no sir yeah. uh, I think don't sell yourself short. short i believe you can yeah. i was like that is a great piece of writing and, and you know the line that i quoted at the beginning this is your rubicon do not cross your rubicon that made me giggle yeah it's, it's kind of like you yeah you, it's funny for as someone who likes dick and fart jokes yeah. as much as you yeah you either are like at least this is my opinion of yeah. your 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 comedic uh proclivities you are either like the the lowest of the low bar fart pp haha jokes yeah. or very sort of like highbrow i won't even and not not in a bad way but like intelligent humor i just i like i like feeling things i, I like feeling language is being played with right. the cohen brothers 
are the perfect Venn diagram yep. of this, who can do pee-pee and poo-poo jokes and with, you know, very, very, you know, like uh, this aggression won't stand, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, whereas something like um, uh, No Hard Feelings <laughs> is, is, a, is a film that is in the middle and yeah. i don't think hitting that like cross section of what you really dig which and it's I, it's weird because the farrelly brothers kind of managed to hit that zone sure. really early in their career you know with there's something about mary uh where it was you know lowbrow kind of silly humor but really landed i i'm gonna probably alienate a lot of people i didn't like there's something about mary didn't like it or didn't find it funny yes yeah like you i mean if, if if there's if it's a comedy that you're supposed to be laughing at and you're not a laughing a bunch, yeah. I guess I don't like it. Like, I wasn't, like, angry at it. I, yeah. I haven't thought about yeah. uh, something about Mary in a very long time. I don't know why that movie never clicked <laughs> with me. Um, regardless, this was a film that uh, I was very excited to to see. I'm trying to remember when I saw the trailer. I only saw the trailer in the theater. Okay. And it might have been before Oppenheimer? No, not that early. Surely not. No, I saw this trailer a while ago. Maybe okay. it wasn't Oppenheimer, but it was definitely yeah. for something on the podcast. Yeah. And it had this is OK. Without getting into any spoilers yet, the trailer itself was really fun. But I was looking at it and I was like, this movie is way bigger than the trailer is letting on. Yeah. Right. And I loved it. I was like, I was so happy because it's correct. It's also Alexander Payne. Yeah. Which, like, yeah. Which I've only seen two other of his films, honestly. I've seen Election uh, no, and Sideways. No, I never saw Election. You haven't seen Election? I have not seen Election. Oh my God. That's a huge I know. I know. Um No, no shade. I'm just saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. like I you will love that movie. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I've seen the trailer for Election, I think, a bunch. No, I've seen about Schmidt and Sideways. Okay. Um, and I really like Sideways. Yeah. Um, You're not a big fan of Bad Schmidt? Or it's, no, it's fine. Yeah. I, I, no shade to About Schmidt. Um, Election, for me, was a formative film. It came out at the same time as Rushmore. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it in that 99 period, it also had like this huge long tail run on DVD. And yeah. I remember watching it in college dorm rooms. Like we would watch it over and over and over again because it's an imminently rewatchable. Um, and I also recall like pouring over it in terms of like, uh, listening to the DVD commentary and like picking up on little details that Payne had like put into the film uh, that I hadn't noticed on, on rewatch. So it, what's interesting about him is that he's uh, a comedic hum humorist. Now he's been in some interviews this week and he's been a little prickly about how people identify him and think about him. Okay. Um, and, and I think the thing that makes him great is that he, his, all of his films are funny um, and they, they, their main genre is comedy, but kind of like, Hal Ashby, I would say, with being there, uh, they have a, like you say, a bit, a greater depth to them. There is always a lurking tragedy that isn't far underneath the surface. And is there, to, you know, the comedy is in a way there to allow, to invite us into that tragedy. Right. And, and that's, a, that's the case in election. That is the case in the descendants. That is the case in about Schmidt sideways. Did you Ooh. see downsizing? Yes. I, I didn't. I, I saw, so I, uh, the only two movies of his I hadn't seen, I've seen Citizen Ruth as well. And there's a debut feature he did for UCLA, which is on the election DVD, which I haven't seen, hmm. um, on the election criterion collection DVD. Um, so I caught up with Nebraska and downsizing this week. And that was a ride. Yeah. Downsizing is probably his least successful film. Yeah. I was looking at the rate. I was the stats here and, and I was like, mm. and, and it's, so it's a really weird thing because like part of me goes, is this movie offensive? I think it is. And it's weird because you watch it and it starts out with such an inoffensive premise 
that it's like, oh, this couple decides to downsize. When you downsize, you get economic benefits because you are taking up less resources in the world. But the movie pivots so hard within itself and introduces characters and ideas in in throughout the film where you're like, what did I just sign up? Like, what is this movie? Yeah. And it's it's a strange, strange ride. I heard that. And I it's funny. When the trailer hit, I was like, I want to see this. Yeah. And then when the I didn't go right away, and when the reviews hit, I was like, I don't know if I want to see this. Yeah, but I never I, it's, did. it's I I would recommend anyone watch it. It's, it's available. Just interesting. It's interesting. It's it's like uh, and again, uh, Payne um has got such a strong career that this is not a film that puts him in director's oh, jail or anything yeah, like yeah, that. No, you know? no. And, and director's it's, jail. It's like it, what, what's what I love about the film is that it's it's it it is a misfire. Don't get me wrong, a complete misfire, but is incredibly ambitious, and 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 like ambitious in a way that most movies will not be, will not ever sure. be. Um, ambitious in the way that like a Christopher Nolan movie is. Sure. Um, and it it just misfires, but. Nebraska, I watched um, this week as well, and that just you know floored me as well. You know, like I did want to see that. That's another one that's. I was looking at his filmography, and I I feel like I just for a director whose work I like, uh, I've seen so little of it. It's because they're gentle comedies that are that are at the heart of them tragedies. Yeah, and 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 that's that's kind of what I love about them. And you know, like um, Election came out the same time as Rushmore. Um, and, I think that's and, why I got them confused and yeah. never saw election. Yeah. And, and, you know, they kind of play in the same field in terms of high school movies with these overachievers, uh, election, I would say is a far richer text than Rushmore. Um, but Rushmore, it's, it's weird to compare them because they, they're both, I love them both, you know, equally, but, but, but I think what's happened is that Wes Anderson has become no, you know, like Rushmore is stylistically more successful, even though Election is very, very slick and very, very um, um, surprising in its execution of stylistic ideas. But what's happened is, is that Wes Anderson has refined and honed those stylistic ideas from Rushmore over the years to a fine you know, to an absolute, you know, needle yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, Payne, you know, uh, I think is less interested in those stylistic flourishes. His films vary wildly from from film to film. There's no like formal attribute you could attri- you could say is like that's an Alexander Payne movie. Um, but they're all thematically connected. They, they they just don't have that kind of this is a Wes Anderson film about them. You've reminded me I need to add um, uh, Asteroid City to my Christmas list. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to own that movie. Yeah. I. It's funny, since we've talked about film uh, movies not being available like at Best Buy or a lot of retailers getting yeah. rid of physical media, I'm like, just adding to this giant list of like, I need to buy a lot more movies that I've been buying in the last few years. Just I mean, because. you know, like Wes Anderson released four movies this year. Yeah. Uh, four short films. Yeah. That are on Netflix. Um, that but they'll probably go away. Uh, I don't think so, because Netflix paid for them. So no, oh, I'm sorry. Are we saying that companies don't just ditch media when they don't want it anymore after they paid for it? I, I don't know if Netflix has ever done that. Have uh, I? Netflix has removed uh, some of its its earlier. Um, so I, let me be clear. Yeah. I don't think that they're going to get rid of Wes Anderson content. Yeah. that doesn't make a lot of financial Lily sense. Ha- okay, so here's the question. Is Lily Hammer, which is the first Netflix production. Oh, yeah. Is, is that still, still on Netflix? On Netflix? Like, let's- I guess my, my, my general point is I don't trust companies to keep art, keep art available that I love. OK, um, so. I want to get them on physical. Is Lily Hammer? Is Lily Hammer? Is Lily Hammer? For those who are young enough to remember, Lily Hammer with the actor from The Sopranos, I forget his name, yep. uh, was the first, first Netflix, Netflix production. 
And three seasons of it are still available on Netflix. All right, good on you, Netflix. Yeah. You're not pulling a max. <laughs> um, I, I think it is different when they paid for the movie. Well, no, but like, um, what was it? The the movie that they paid for uh, Disney. Uh, they released that uh, the thing about the kids going to the moon. That kids movie that was released for a week. That they they would cost something like forty million dollars, and then they just got rid of it. Okay, like okay. it. I'm not saying it's it's. I don't trust the streaming services okay. because I've been burned <laughs> okay anyway okay the holdovers i love this movie mm. this movie as i need you all to understand as we get into the discussion of this film i will be biased because this movie is easily in the top half of my top 10 of the year without a doubt uh what the fuck this movie is so good yeah uh it hits a lot of to be fair outside of its many many um wonderful elements of of, of filmmaking prowess it also specifically speaks to me being in New England. Yeah. And everything felt incredibly familiar, even though it did take place in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, I never went to a, a boarding school by any means of the oh, imagination. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 112. Yeah. Um, but uh, just when they drive, when they're like heading, they head up to Boston at one point and they do all this other stuff, like they go, they go, Shahir, they go candle pin bowling. What is candle pin bowling? Candle pin. Okay. So yeah. I was on a candle pin bowling league. Wow. Cause there's, for a, there's six years. There's a conversation that happens at the candle pin bowling bar with Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so curious if actually it, that is a thing where like, I don't know where Alexander Payne is from. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, so maybe. Omaha, yeah. it, so from what I understand about candle pin bowling, email us in at only at gmail.com. If I am wrong. Yeah. Candle pin bowling is a very new England thing, right? It is thinner pins and yeah. smaller balls by almost a half size. There's no holes in the balls. You have to palm them. Yeah. And there are, you get three balls instead of two. Okay. And it's, it's much more difficult than standard bowling. Cause there's, there's standard, there's it's 10 pin, bowling. there's 10 pin, <laughs> duck pin and yeah. candle pin. Duck pin is closer to 10 pin, but the pins are a different shape. Okay. Candle pin is they're literally they're thin 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 they don't have that like bow at the bottom and the balls are crazy light i still have a set of candle pin bowling balls like that are mine yeah um and it is such a new england thing like if you want to put a staple and, and uh, in in a in a film or anything and you want to make sure people know it's new england you put a candle pin bowling scene and i love mm. the fact that the bowling owner this is such a minor point of the movie but the bowling owner is arguing with santa claus or not arguing being like that 10 pin thinks they're better than us <laughs> and they and they do and candle pin bowling uh, alleys are dying yeah. uh, both of the ones that i was in leagues at have closed they're the best buy of dvd uh, they're <laughs> the <laughs> candle pin bowling is the best buy of physical media depth yeah, yeah. Okay. um but it is really fun. If you haven't been Shahir or anybody, I would recommend it. Yeah. It's also great for folks who uh, like for back reasons or whatever. Like if you can't do like real bolt, like full bowling. Yeah, um, it, it's it's easier on the back and the joints, right. uh, which is really nice. But regardless, this isn't a review of Candlepin Bowling. I was just really, really happy to see Candlepin Bowling <laughs> represented because whenever there's a bowling scene in movies, it's never fucking Candlepin. <laughs> This really got you goose. It actually did. And it, so when I first, I, sorry, I'm still talking about it. But <laughs> okay. when I first saw it, I was like, fuck yeah, candle pin bowling. And then when we go to the scene where Paul Giamatti is overhearing this conversation between the bartender and a drunk Santa, I was like, motherfuckers are still, they're talking about it now. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, just yeah, a throwaway yeah. detail. I think that's, uh, that's, that's this factor about um, uh, Alexander Payne's work that I really love is that he really embraces the little details that make a character a character. And in many ways, he embraces the little details that are kind of, for a comedy, that are ugly. In the very first scene, uh, I think one of the 
uh, a, uh, an administrative person comes and gives them cookies. Yep. Uh, but which come back like ten days later. I'm like, those don't eat those cookies. I love it. Uh, but he mentioned he actually acknowledges the fact that he didn't eat these cookies for ten days and they're completely stale by now. But like, she has lipstick on her teeth. And it's just like this little, de- this is like the first few minutes of the movie. And there's this little detail of lipstick on the teeth that is like, oh, that is a conscious choice, but it feels throwaway for the ca- The characters don't realize it, but it's a conscious choice that they had to make in order to get that. The The prostitute that approaches him mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in Boston, Boston really feels like uh, an unglamorous, and she, and you know, like she is just trying to get out of the cold. Yeah. You know, like, and the movie, and- he, his writing, along with David Hemmingson here, uh, who uh, was commissioned by Alexander Payne to write the story, um, really feels embedded in the details. And that's what makes it rich. And like, you know, these are smart, you know, like Paul Giamatti's character um, really feels like he is fully steeped in, uh, you know, like uh, Greek, Greek uh, mythology. And he talks in that way. And he, those are, those are his reference points for jokes in the hard pin, uh, you know, like, uh, what are they called? Um, candle pen. Candle pen. You know, he, he comes up with, uh, a reference to why Santa Claus is dressed this way, you know, and that's his humor and it never forgets that. And I, I love that about it. I, I, you know, it, it obviously has the seventies aesthetic, um, that's really embedded into the film. It's shot digitally, but has like the gate weave, the, the, the funky titles. When, when you brought up specific small details, yeah. like the, the, the credits work and the way that it lulls you into watching the movie itself, it, it feels old, even though, you know, it's not. Yeah. And, and so many times when films try that, I find it's just a thing that doesn't hit on a visual perspective. And for whatever reason, even though I fully understood what was going on, yeah. I was like, this is neat. I mean, like, the last time I saw that sort of embrace that, in, in fact, Nebraska oh, really? uh, has a sort of old Paramount Pictures title at the top and the film is in black and white. Um, Zodiac kind of does the same thing as well. Um, what was funny was that I, the, I was thinking about what I was going to talk about in this film as I was watching it. And the, the, these are two words I exactly said in the movie. And then I came up to read this review, this conversation with Alexander Payne. I was like, this movie is like a cozy, warm blanket. I am going to wear this for the, you know, like yeah. every, every holiday from this period forward, I can see this. It feels it, like a real good Christmas movie. This is what Alexander Payne said. Cause, because apparently I'm not, that is not an original thought. <laughs> and people have had that thought many times over, but Alexander Payne in an interview with, uh, I believe there was the little gold men podcast said, Oh, it's a cozy movie or a warm hug or putting on a sweater on a cold day or drinking hot cocoa. Part of that nauseates me a little bit. I can certainly feel the coziness when I watch a Bob Raffleson or a movie by Hal Ashby from that period. So on that level, I kind of understand it. I've heard it and read it a couple of times. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it, whether to be complimented or insulted by it. Not insulted, but you know what I mean. I thought I was making a decent movie about people. Well, what is it that makes you feel cozy and warm? Is it the texture of the film, the quality of the human relations presented? What was it? We can talk about two things. One of this is quality that it has perhaps, or that uh, we can pierce through our natural assumptions about others given new knowledge. That everyone's got a story. You meet someone, you make certain assumptions, fairly or unfairly, usually unfairly. But the more you get to know a person, the more you see humanity underneath. And then by extension in this film, if there's a feeling that seemingly very disparate people can, with time, discover some common humanity, that's a nice thing. I wouldn't necessarily use the word cozy, though. Why do you use the word cozy? And I was like, 
Well, because it's a cozy movie, Alexander Payne. Stop yucking my yum. I love your shit. I think it's funny because uh, I think exa- it, it is specifically cozy, weirdly, for every reason he described. Yeah. There's, okay, so the other kind of cozy movie, which I think is a lesser film, are things like Hallmark movies, right? Right, yeah. Because that is setting you up with all of the trimmings of... Uh, a beautiful winter scape with yeah. the holidays and oh love is coming back and oh my god you've remembered to save the Christmas pageant from all of the reindeer or whatever the fuck it I mean, is. There's some sequence in this movie where you say we brings back the Christmas tree. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like we all know, yeah, that those are saccharine, sweet, fake things. Yeah. So it's almost like the the the, the sugar of cozy, right? Yeah. This is cozy because it feels real. This is the actual wool blanket. This is real people, real feeling people in emotional situations where you your faith in humanity is restored, not by some giant capitalist like fucking uh, holiday thing, pushing gift giving or throwing entertainment pageants <laughs> down your throat. Yeah. But by people put in a less than stellar situation that make the best of it and find sort of the beauty in each other's actual humanity flaws and all. So like, I think there is a level like that too is true cozy. Yeah. And I think there's weirdly no higher. Uh, I love that he hates it. Though. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no higher praise. I think than calling this a cozy movie. If we because- were having Thanksgiving dinner for him, I would like, I would make fun of this relentlessly. Yeah. Like, like I would be like, Oh, that's a cozy sweater. You're wearing. But I, yeah, yeah, I do. I love that. He doesn't like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just it but actually it, makes it, it better for me <laughs> but that that is like i'm not going to back down from my my feeling of it which was that i was again grinning from ear to ear from the from the very beginning of this movie and uh felt a warm color. i think i was a little suspicious at the beginning of the film because uh there's a tradition in you know american cinema you know descends from the from the english of the the boarding school film, yep. you know, like the, the the Dead Poet Society, the School Ties, the um, Scent of a Woman, even um, of the sort of ultimately, can we get behind the woes of what are ultimately very privileged people? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think you know the fact that this is a 2023 film that feels like it's made in the 70s, but addresses kind of a 2023 mindset. Um, is quite amazing in that, in that, and, and it's done with details, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, as Payne mentioned there, what we're watching are three characters who really sh- don't need to get along with each other and have all made preconceived notions about each other. And as they kind of spend, have to, are forced to spend time together. And this is a classic Christmas trope, you know, like as you're forced to spend time with people, you unearth their humanity with them. I was going to say, at one point, I was going to say uh, this is the best version of a Hallmark movie, but I'm going to reverse that slightly, which is that a Hallmark movie could never do what no. this film does, but aspires to what this film achieves in a profound way. I actually don't think they aspire to it. I think they both have two very different win conditions. On, on a superficial level, I think a Hallmark movie, yes, it's completely throwaway, but on a very superficial level, it is aspiring to do what this movie achieves, although this movie achieves it in a way that is profound and everlasting and will be held in high regard for decades to come. I will agree with the with a with a with a classic Matt Food analogy yeah, where yeah. while a I will feel bad for eating a wall, uh, Hallmark cookie. While a while <laughs> a uh, while a McDonald's burger mm. and a home cooked meal made by a loved one mm. do both 
technically uh, fulfilled the same human need for satiation. Satiation. Yeah. Um, It is not the same experience. And I don't think the the wind condition of how it is made or why it is made is the same. Yeah. Um, So, yes, (laughs) both are doing the thing, I think. And it's funny. I, I, it sounds like I'm shitting on Hallmark movies, which mm-hmm. I always do. But in this case, I'm actually defending them. They know what they're doing and right. what they're reaching for. Um, this movie. Not a lot. <laughs> not, yeah, not, not a lot. lot. Yeah. I mean, they make 109 of them yeah. a, in two months. They're mass manufacturing. We got to get Blake back on. Yeah. Uh, we got to do more. More Hallmark <laughs> we gotta movies. do more Hallmark movies. It's funny. Side note. Uh, I was talking to Shahir earlier. Uh, we're doing a. I'm uh, here, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But before the show, um, we're doing an extra history, uh, an episode on the war on Christmas. And we needed we mentioned Hallmark movies like just as a throwaway. And I was like, oh, so I gave my artist. Mm. Scott, our list from two years ago of the of the Hallmark or Hogwash game where we had the names oh, right, of real yeah. Hallmark movies and fake ones. And Blake had to guess you yeah. know, which was which. And I was like, pick one of these and make a fake movie poster for right. it. And he picked Happy Hollandaz. Yeah. Uh, and it's, was that a real? No, that's okay. fake. Okay. And it's so good. Uh, we, I was like, he's like, can we make a poster of this? I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's, <laughs> it's it. really, really fun. So sorry. No, Tangent. No. But uh, it's funny. I, I think this movie embodies the other end of the holiday spectrum that I feel like I was missing. I've said many times in this podcast that my favorite holiday movie is Jingle All the Way. Okay. Uh, we've had Randy on the show. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've talked about Jingle All the Way ad nauseum. If you haven't listened to those episodes, please go do yeah. so. But that is because that movie is honest and about the consumerism and whatever of the holiday, et cetera. And I appreciate the honesty and mix it with comedy. And I'm a sucker for Arnold Schwarzenegger, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> There's not a lot of crazy emotional resonance in that movie um, where here it's all that. This is the stuff that like this is this movie and this I'm not saying the movie is boring. It is absolutely not. It is presented in an exquisitely interesting way. But this movie is just showing you the boring stuff that matters. Yeah. And like I I think on a previous episode, I said something along the lines of there used to be a thing where movies made tiny moments feel enormous. And yeah. and this is one of those movies where tiny moments feel enormous, you know, and and they have incredible weight to them. I, I rewatched um Planes, Trains and Automobiles uh, oh. a couple of weeks ago, John Hughes film. And I was the because I wanted to get to the moment where John Candy says, I like me. You know, like and he and he's sort of defending himself amidst the fact that he is, you know, truly one of the worst travel partners on the planet. Um and and I think that there's that kind of sense of throughout this entire film of we are the sum of our successes and mostly failures. And and that's what this movie is beautiful. And I, I want to get at the sort of 2023 of it all because, um, again, the boarding school, the prep school movie can kind of feel like, um, again, it's about wealthy elites. And mm-hmm. can we, uh, you know, like, what does it take for us to um endear ourselves upon people who are benefiting from their status in life. Yeah. Uh and there's no you know grow, no greater example than that which is that a, a character in this film is having an argument with their dad uh who then helicopters in uh to take the entire sc- the remaining kids to school uh to to a ski trip. You know like uh th- this is the kind of wealth we're talking about in the, the, the the reason why this particular character was left back mm-hmm. is cuz he quote 
from this trip originally yeah. was because he quote wouldn't cut his hair. Yeah, wouldn't. and so it's a battle of wills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I love again small moments, yeah. right? Like so. Then eventually the dad shows up in his helicopter, yeah. takes all but uh, Tully. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, they can't get a hold of his parents, <laughs> and then they leave. And then the next time we see that character, his he's, hair is cut. His hair is and cut. you're like, fuck. And <laughs> it was such, it doesn't matter to the plot. Yeah. It doesn't it's, matter it, to it, anything. It's, it's a visual detail as well. It's a yeah. really smart visual detail. It's it's like it's it does a full circle on a minor character's arc. Yeah. It's complete. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Like, yeah. And this movie is full of that shit. Yeah. And so I want to talk about um uh Davina uh Divine. Divine. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh Mary Lamb's character, because I think. In a way, um, you know, the conversation that we had essentially about Killers of the Flower Moon and Green Book to an extent is about uh, minority characters getting uh, placement within non-minority films. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the case of Killers of the Flower Moon, I think my argument was that there's another version of this film that is from uh, Molly Burkhardt's point of view. In Green Book, I sort of wonder about the the balance of that story as well. I think this film does that, but there's a, there's a thing to this, which is that her character, Mary Lamb's character, is suffering an immense tragedy. The character of Mary Lamb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is suffering an immense tragedy that the other two characters, th there is nothing that they can offer her mm -hmm. in terms of healing, in terms of anything. And they're aware of that. So the film doesn't try to have them, you know, be a savior or anything to that. The film just gives her the space to suffer in silence. And her suffering is... Exactly right, and is very aware of where she stands in terms of privilege of the, in this community. So again, we're talking about a private preparatory school, the Barton Man, um, and what is acknowledged from the very early frames of this film is that these boys that go to this school come from immense wealth and privilege. Paul Giamatti, you know, Hannah mentions this on several times, and in many ways, he's resentful of the fact that these kids are here, even though he is he was one of them at some point. Mm -hmm. um, his character actually has a lot, um, reminds me a lot of Max Fisher from Rushmore. Yeah. Like, imagine Max Fisher grew up and became sure. a teacher at, at Rushmore. Um, but, but Mary Lamb, her son has recently deceased, uh, and he was drafted. Um, and she basically worked at Barton in order to for him to go there, which is not uncommon, you know, like yep. uh, administrative janitorial stuff. Anyone works at, you know, tends to work at these schools so that their kids can actually yeah, afford to go there. Yeah, there's a path to get the and kids. We, and, you know, for people who are outside of the U.S. listening to this, uh, we have, my family has investigated this. Um, we're talking about, I, I think, the Trinity School, for example. The tuition is $60,000 a year yeah. to go to the school, and they start at age five or something like that. So you're paying 60000 So your level of wealth has to be able to- Sustain an extra 60K a year. For your school, uh, for your uh, your ch child's tuition. Um, we got to start monetizing the podcast. And I, I also want to point this out as well, because I, I wanted to point this out- um, Yes, we do need to monetize more because I got to send some kids to school. Yeah, send some kids, kids to school. school. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we'll start. We'll start a a coffee, a coffee yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. for your son. <laughs> I I went to a private boys' school. Um, I went to a private boys' school. How did I not know that? I went to a private boys' school. Uh, so not what grades or what's the equivalent? Um, so I went from uh, it, it was called Form Three then. So I think that's Grade Eight, the first year of high school. So you went. You were at a, you were at a all boys. boys School for high school. Yeah, all the way through. Um, huh. And I, it was a very small high school. It's it's not $60,000 a year, so it wasn't quite that, but it was expensive. $65,000. Yeah, $65,000. My, <laughs> my parents made a lot of sacrifices in order to send me there. Yeah. Uh, and I got a lot of opportunities out of it. 
Um, and I actually revisited that school this year um, because I was in New Zealand and I went to visit the school. And, you know, uh, it, there is a sort of a collegiate atmosphere when you go to a school like that, which is that, um, you know, uh, the the uh, my old PE teacher is now the vice principal of the school. And, you know, he's been there for like 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and we chatted, you know, and now we're now we are um, not colleagues, but like we're, you know, equals now, sure. even though, and it, and it was like an interesting thing because I, I remember the sort of the feeling of being in an old boys private school. I didn't go to, it wasn't boarding. There was a boarding school near us. Uh, and I heard lots of horror stories about that. In fact, there, the, the private boarding school that was near us, the title of that boarding school was mentioned at the end of the credits of spotlight. If you oh, get, fuck. yeah, if you get my drift. Um, but, but my point being is that these kinds of schools, um, foster a sense of elitism. They do. They they are filled with people. Well, they're kind of built for it, right? They're built for it. They're built for they're, they're this idea that we are separate from the normal educational standards. It's othering. And we are the Barton men. We are we we raise men uh, to be exceptional in society. And there's a there's a there's a wonderful quality to that, which is like uh, aspirational. But there is the other side of that, which this film fully explores, which is that it is also othering. It is exclusionary. It is uh, not for. Uh, everybody, because the 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 price is a gatekeeping factor into it. Uh, and and at the end of the day, when money is involved, if your if your um, goal is to instill values and be be the best uh, a human can be, or whatever you want to sort of say to that, yeah. once the second money is involved, that goes out the window too. Yeah, because as uh, Paul Hunnam, Paul Giamatti's character sort of brings up, like these are just a bunch of rich kids that are looking to get passing grades so they can go to Ivy League schools. And and the, and he is he and is, he's like no. He's like, berated at the beginning of the movie for not giving a passing grade to uh, one of the one of the people who donated a shit ton of money. State or, senator, yeah. I think, yeah. as well. Yeah, a senator's kid. Yeah, and he's also he's also uh, there's a there's a fun thing which is that one of his former students is now his superior. Yeah, uh, and he was like, "You're an asshole, Vin." And you, what is it? You have been the uh, historical equivalent of penis penis cancer. You're, you're the human equivalent. Yeah, human equivalent yeah. of, of, uh, of penis, penis cancer. That's my kind of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still a dick joke, uh, it is, but it's a high brow. <laughs> it's dick a high brow dick joke. Uh, no, but th that's th that's a very good point about like the way that to to have a film still make you feel for a couple of these characters who are incredibly privileged. Yeah. Um, especially when um, mirrored by Mary's character, who is uh, basically clawing and scraping to get the, the where, anywhere close to where they are. And she is also dealing with. What I would argue, well, yeah, her the, tragedy the largest tragedy. I mean, her the, tragedy is directly related to their privilege. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, so it's funny. I don't like I'm not ranking characters tragedies, I yeah. guess. But like if I had to go into. Well, it's funny. So these are also characters who range in age. Yeah. And we learn the mo this is going to be strange to say we learned the most about the internal struggle of Angus by, by Dominic Sessa. Uh, like, First time actor. Yeah, which <laughs> yeah, is, is yeah, great. Yeah. Um, because you eventually learn about what's happening with his father and what's happening truly with the family that leaves him behind, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. Then I think it's Mary, because you, you obviously her tragedy is front and center for her character. Uh, the loss of her son comes up a great deal. And her and, husband. And her husband. And her husband. Yeah. And, um, the, then we see her family when they go on the road trip, they drop her off with with her sister yeah. who's having a baby and, and et cetera. And then you have Paul played by Paul Giamatti, who 
has tragedy that is baked into his character that you you only get snippets of, but they're almost like recollections from his farther past because he's the oldest of the characters. Yeah. And so what I liked about the way that it basically humanizes all three of these characters is you get the narrative information about what makes them who they are in very different ways that I do feel are not only uh, tied directly to their age, but also uh, levels of being, quote, in the shit of it. Yeah. Mary is very much in the shit of it. Yeah. Dominic or, or Angus learning. Is, is learning about being in the shit of it. Yeah. And uh, Paul is, uh, is he's, already he's built a suit of armor. He's he's he's. <laughs> at the other side of the shit lake and yeah. he's not getting out and he's not getting out. And, and, and what's happened is he's got stagnation in terms of moving on from it, but he has built a comfortable bubble for himself to live in. And that bubble is going to be pierced by this, by this interaction. And I want to get into, as we sort of, uh, you know, on the back half of this podcast, we'll start doing like deep spoilers. Mm. Um, I think we're in spoilers. Yeah. Now, I think the end of this movie is, kind of perfect for every character yeah like sticking with with uh hunnam with paul the uh, like you're right he he's just been soaking in this mire like he's kind of close to getting out but he never does yeah and then the act that gets him to get out and move on and try something else is an act of saving the life yeah. Yeah. basically of another character of angus yeah and the way that Mary ties into it, like it's, it's this relationship, this movie's relationship and it, it's, it's very tertiary, but the, with the military yeah. and sort of like the difference between a military life or going to Vietnam <laughs> and this boarding school yeah. is always present, but never the point. Yeah. Like, so the, the, the scary thing of this is if Angus gets expelled from the third or fourth school he's been in, they're sending him to military boarding school. And the, the, the assumption is even though privilegedly speaking, yeah. it's very, very different for Mary's family than Angus is. It, and they, they spell they, it, they spell it spell out. out. Yeah. But like, he's one step closer to the fate that Ang that Mary's son uh, yeah. got eventually went to. And it's just the way that it ties in all these different narrative ways with small moments, like we said, and, and sort of ending characters on, I won't call any ending of the characters like a happy one, yeah, but it's a hopeful one. It's yeah. one that's like, well, this is not a happy ending because it's literally not the end. And, you know, for example, uh, Angus stays at Barton mm -hmm. uh, and he kind of learns the lesson of what it actually means to be a Barton man, which is that being a Barton man uh, is doing for others what um, what they what what they need uh, mm -hmm. help with. And that's and that's what um, Hunnam does at the end. Um, but he, he kind of runs off indifferently. <laughs> you know, like he's sort of like, see you later. And like runs off. You know, I think he he has accepted the what's happened. And he is very sad about the fact that, you know, this person he's gotten close to, who's kind of become a surrogate father for yeah. him, uh, is going to be going away now. Uh, but Mary also, I, I, I really, again, in comparison to films like Green Book, um, even in sort of, uh, though I like Killers of the Flower Moon as well, and I, I think it's got a, it's got a very interesting way of dealing with what it's dealing with. I like that this film is basically saying, 
this character's tragedy is very real. It is very related to where she lives in society at this point in time. It is very directly correlated to the privilege that these other characters have. And this film is not going to try and save her. It is just going to show the depth of the tragedy that is yeah. at play here. And it is a deep, deep Meyer tragedy. I would say hers is the far, you know, again, not tragedy ranking, but like greatest of the tragedies. Her husband died at 25. Her son wanted to go to college, but got but couldn't afford to. Was drafted and wanted he to. He did the GI Bill and wanted to come back to go to college. Yeah, um, but was killed in Vietnam. You know, so her two the two people in her life that she is, um, you know, worked the hardest for are gone. And the the last remaining thing is she has a sister in Boston, who uh, at the beginning of the film she wasn't ready to go see yet. Yep, and then she decides I'm ready to go see her and. Her sister is pregnant and will name her child after her son. And, and she's and, working now to help send that, that kid, kid to, to good schools. And that is, that, as you say, that is not a win. No. It's not a win at all, but it is where, you know, it is a realistic depiction of hope that this, that this film can offer. Yeah. And in a way that is not like trite and is not like trying to convince you that this movie has, has made an alternate history. It is like that is what this you know what this what will happen in the story. Yeah, uh, this movie it truly did blow me away. I really, uh, if you've gotten this far and not seen it, yeah. well, first of all, congratulations yeah. on on listening to us yammer for that long. But second, I I would recommend this to literally anyone. I uh, I I'm hoping that uh, I can watch it with Jamie when it hits streaming. Uh, yeah. And this also feels like a physical release for me whenever it's it is time. It also feels like a great movie to watch in the holidays. Yeah. You know, like, and, you know, I think he, uh, Payne, in the, later in that interview says that he doesn't intend it to be a Christmas movie. He says it, it by virtue of what it's setting, it becomes a Christmas movie, but he's not, like, trying to make a Christmas movie. Yeah. It, but it, it is. <laughs> but but my response to it is, man, this is going to be one of the greatest Christmas movies. It, yeah. And he'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it, it, Christmas is just a background and yeah. just a reason and just a narrative conceit. Yeah. Um, but also, I will say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and it does the exact same thing. So uh, I think there's a debate to be had. I, not, I, no, we've debated not, it. Yeah, not for the same episode. Yeah, but I, you know, again, just little details there. I, I love all the little reveals that come out about Giamatti's character, like the fact that he smells like fish later in the day. Yeah, like the fact that he, um, you know, there's an opportunity for a relationship that he thinks is kind of going somewhere with uh, with Carrie Preston's character, yeah. uh, Linda. Or yeah, Lydia? yeah, Lydia. yeah. But but is like is dismissed in one scene in the background, and it's like it reminded me of uh, in the Banshees of Inisherin uh, when Barry Keegan's character goes, "Well, there goes that dream." Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just like, "Well, there goes that." You know, like and it's uh, and they set up. I liked that a lot because yeah. they set up uh, Lydia as sort of like the de facto like love interest that yeah. could pull him out of it. But more, I mean, nine but, times but out you, of ten, that doesn't happen to people. Like, and then and, you get to the end, you're like, "Oh, she was just genuinely being nice. She was just a nice person. She was just a nice." And they person. set up. I think it's funny the the lipstick on the teeth in the beginning. A yeah. side note: Carrie P, uh, Preston, I've been in love with since True Blood. I okay. want to see her in way more shit she's always been so fucking good at everything she does yeah. i was very happy to see her here um the lipstick on the teeth is such a setup to like knock her into a this sounds weird but like she's if she's duttering and he's duttering then they can get together and she but she is beautiful oh she's gorgeous but that's why like you're like that i'm saying it knocks her down to his level in a quick way and you're like oh this could be a thing yeah yeah and then it butters you up entirely and then just snips that in the bud. But not in a dramatic way either. Not in a dramatic way. It's like he just, it's just in the background of a scene, her partner comes home and you're like, 
she was just a nice person. Yeah. She was just a lovely person. And that is all that we had. There's no angst about it on his side. No. There's no like, I'm going to go, you know, he doesn't have sex with the prostitute. Like the, the next well, curl your toes, Mr. Telly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, he's just like, that's, that's the light. And that's what I love about his character as well is like, he's built up the suit of armor after all the indignations, you know, and we realize his indignations is also tied to the privilege of other people, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, he bumps into a, a college roommate from Harvard who has gone on to become a college professor at Harvard. And he kind of makes up this lie about like, he's writing a book about the cameras, you know, camera obscura or something like that. And, um, uh, it's Tully sets about people. Oh. The, the conversation is like, why did you say that? He's like, Oh, I want to keep you on your toes. Yeah. 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 And Tully, Tully's such a great liar. Yeah. Um, and, and we realize that he was kicked out of Harvard because his roommate plagiarized him but was far more privileged and was able to get away with it, whereas he was not. Yeah. And he and he was then offered a job, uh, you know, so he never got his PhD, he never graduated from Harvard, and he was offered a job back at the school. And that has been his, like, uh, his safe place for the last, you know, however many years. He got hired, I think it says, an adjunct uh, or assistant or something. Yeah, no some, money, but yeah. it was by the original uh, um, uh, principal of the school, whom he actually does admire. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, again, he's built up this little suit of armor for himself and, you know, like it is his, his terseness, his difficulty, the fact that he fails everyone in his class, the fact that he doesn't put up with their bullshit. He's like, you got a D that's, that's a D. And yeah. it was like, I was like, you gave someone an F plus. I was like, I saw F plus. Yeah. I loved F plus. What is an F plus? It's not real. It's not real. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, or maybe it is in some cases, yeah. again, email us in. I've haven't been to a graded uh, school in a very long time, Yeah, but like F plus, I thought was just a joke. And <laughs> Tully, and got a B plus or a B minus yeah, or B something. Minus. Like. Yeah. So he's like, he, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. Uh, he, he's not getting an A plus. Like, I, I think what the demand that the other kids have is like, Hey, we're privileged we have to pass this class. And he's like, no, you do not. Yeah. And I'm not going to let you just because you're privileged. Um, and, you know, like, again, they're, they're all saying, and I love like the little gag here is that he steals the bottle of like expensive Louis the 15th, 13th whiskey, yeah. something like that. And, you know, again, because it's Giamatti, um, his character from Sideways, the big, it's not a reveal in Sideways either, but it's like, he's an alcoholic, yeah. you know? And in this film, he's an, he's probably an alcoholic, you know, yeah. like he drinks everywhere he goes, but his drink at the end, isn't a, like, um, an alcohol, it's a like triumph a, moment. It's, a, it's not a celebratory thing about like, hi, I took this thing. Yeah. It's, it's, he takes a swig and then spits it out on the ground outside of the school yeah. and then drives off. I love it. Yeah. I love this it. This movie's so, fucking great. I love it. So it's, it's, the movie is note perfect in every scene. <laughs> there's, disturbingly there's literally, good. I have no flaws with the film whatsoever. No. Yeah. I was trying to think of some. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't actually think there is. I, I, I adored this movie. Yeah. I adored this movie so much and I adored watching it in the theater. And I, you know, like. I this was a full house. Yeah. Uh, I, I went on, when did I go see this movie? Monday night? Um, and or maybe it was Tuesday night. And it was packed. Yeah. And people, I was worried that like, oh, fuck, packed theater. Yeah. Great. But then I was like, the, the, everyone was, it was a good audience. And everyone like laughed at the points. And there were yeah. people some crying and whatever. And it was just like, this is a perfect movie experience. It is. It's, it's a, like comedy in a crowded room. Uh, you know, my, my theater experience wasn't as crowded, but I was like, but like, I was happy to see how full it was on mine. I don't normally laugh out loud at movies. I was like, I was like laughing out loud and I was like, I'm probably annoying the people next to me, but I'm like, eh. but I, I really just, 
giggled. I <laughs> smiled. I loved it. This movie, I hate, sorry, Alexander Payne, was just a perfect cozy warm. It's super warm. cozy. Yeah. And you take that as a compliment. And, and and I love it. And I will share it with other people. Yeah, you yeah, know? So if yeah. you don't like that, Alexander Payne, I'm sorry. Nothing I can do for you. <laughs> I love this. I love your movie. Make a less cozy movie next time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this has been the only podcast about the film The Holdovers. <laughs> Shahir, when you are not snowed in in your all boys private school uh, for the winter, where can folks find you? Shout out to Miss Moore and Craig Johnson over at Hutt International Boys School, um, uh, uh, whom I don't mention on my website at www.shahir.com. But, uh, you know, I, I, they're there in spirit. Matt, when you are uh, knitting the coziest of blankets for which you can snuggle under the covers with with Jamie over Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, where can people find you? You can find me at the old Lita Lanes in Nashua, New Hampshire, over at my website playing candle pin bowling, baby. Candle pin bowling. Uh, That's what I should uh, <laughs> At the my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, PREZ on Instagram, or of course, PSN, uh, if you want to play some games. Also, Emperor MSK on Twitter and uh, Matthew Crowell on Blue Sky. I haven't joined Blue Sky. I have an invite if you want it. Do you need an invite? Today? Yeah, still you get those invite codes people, that, that I, generate. It, it, I have nothing against Blue Sky, uh, nothing against Threads. Nothing, like, it's just like, I just don't want another social media site. On I'm my life. trying I mean, to get off Twitter, but yeah. it's hard. And uh, it's it's a nice way. I always check. I check Blue Sky like three times more than I do Twitter at this point, And I call that a Maybe win. It's a healthy thing. Maybe like get off Twitter and like have less of a parasocial relationship with blue sky where it's just like oh this is this thing i check it every night yeah, yeah i mean honestly I, I forget if i've said this in the podcast my favorite social media app is be real right uh because it's literally just pictures of my friends in their everyday moments and i'm like everyone's a human this is nice it's not instagram I, I, it's I not i told you there's such a missed opportunity here to not get be real from cypress hill to be the spokesperson for be real i don't think they're making <laughs> enough money i don't think they can afford it Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if Be Real from Cypress Hill like uh, is a huge ass these days. I'm I love Be Real from Cypress Hill. By the way, that was not an, that was not intended as insult. You're going. You're <laughs> swerving all over uh, the yeah. road. What's uh, happening here? But I was like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Be Real from Cypress Hill on Be Real. What are we talking like? Either of those parties, <laughs> email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah. Or actually, if you're neither of those two parties, do yeah. the same. Let us know what you're thinking about movies these days. If you saw the holdovers, what did you think? Can you find a flaw? In the movie. Oh, man. Yeah. Email us in. That's a good, great question, because honestly, I have no notes. Yeah, no notes. <laughs> no notes. Uh, next week, a lot of notes. Uh, I'm I, guessing. I'm, I'm, I Look, uh, I, I, I've i said this to you uh, offline, which is that I just feel like I have I have said my piece on Marvel and I have not much else to say. This I know there is a book, uh, the Alyssa Wilkinson book. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it's Alyssa Wilkinson. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um that might be worth kind of checking out for the conversation. Um, the 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 Marvels, yeah, yeah, the MCU book. Sorry, um, the Marvels will be what we are what yeah. we are discussing, and the and the grander MCU. I think as we go, I, I've been. This is. Um, I keep wanting to call it a funeral. It's not a funeral. It's a. Uh, Memorial. I don't know. It's going to be an eulogy. interesting a eulogy. Yeah. Maybe. Eulogy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. By the way, sorry. I apologize. The book is uh, MCU: The Reign of Marvel Studios. Uh, by Joanna Robinson, Dave Gonzalez, and Gavin Edwards, and I think that'll be worth. I, I'm. I'll probably get it on Kindle and uh, pick away for our for our conversation. Um, but yeah, I've been I, like I was saying to Sheer. I've, this is the last Marvel movie that I was excited for, um, and I'm curious uh, about a lot of things. So we'll talk about all that next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, until then, hey, why not go watch the Holdovers again? Go go watch it twice. Yeah. Take your family. Yeah. 
Take your other people's families. Take your other people's families. Find families that are wandering around. Bring them in. And just buy them tickets and hand it out to them. And wrap them in the coziest film of the holiday season. Give them a blanket. Make sure it's clean. No big bugs. I'm sure that Alexander Payne would really appreciate it. All right, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye.